Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing fantastic today, Tim, for a number of reasons. Uh, One, this episode is excellent. It's a recap of our fundraising night that we did at the beginning of the month for Private Investigations for the Missing. Before we get to that, though, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for asking. I had a lot of fun recording this show, this Private Investigations for the Missing fundraising event on the evening of February 1st, 2023. We had some great guests and we raised a good amount of money, enough for you to get the tattoo. Yes, I was going to say I am... (laughs) probably making the official announcement right now that I will be getting the private investigations for the missing tattoo. Yes. Uh, There's going to be an appointment that's going to be made to go over the placement. I mean, we've talked about this, the size, uh, it might be inside of say like a magnifying glass or something, but you know, we're going to add some unique elements to it to personalize it. I think, uh, but it'll obviously be the logo. Of course you're changing the logo now. No, no, no. Just something where it's like, there's the logo. I'm just going to, I'm literally going to just say to the tattoo artist, I need this logo to appear on my body. Feel free to do something surrounding it that might be a cool element. Because we'd have to get Bruce's permission if you were just going to change the logo all of a sudden. I would never change the logo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of Bruce, Bruce Maitland is the founder of Private Investigations for the Missing, and he asked us to be on the board years ago, Lance. And so we are on the board of Private Investigations for the Missing. It is a nonprofit that was founded by Bruce Maitland. Of course, Bruce is the father of Brianna Maitland, who went missing from Montgomery, Vermont, in March of 2004. And you can find out some information about Private Investigations for the Missing at investigationsforthemissing.org. And there is still plenty of time to donate. You can always donate. You can click that donate button. And if you're looking at your bank account and you're like, I have $5 just surplus this month. Why not give like two fifty of it? I'm not. We're not even asking for the whole five dollars. Just two fifty of it to PIs for the missing. And speaking of donating, these folks that we have on this episode donated their time to contribute to this conversation. So we did this revolving door type process. We have a lot of really cool guests on. They bring a, a passion case of theirs, or we just kind of like have a conversation. So the, the following is going to be some highlights. Yeah, we, we had several people on. So in this conversation, we are going to speak with Mandy and Melissa of Moms and Mysteries, formerly Moms and Murder. We also have Chris Walker, the narrator of the TV show Disappeared on, and him and Bruce Maitland have some dialogue uh, going back and forth during this clip. And uh, I, th- I think that was one of the highlights of the evening for sure. Yes, I totally agree with that. When it was happening, I think you and I were texting and saying this is sort of a remarkable moment to have the voice of Disappeared talking to Bruce Maitland and asking questions where we just sat back and we were thinking to ourselves, this is exactly what this community needs. A major member of the true crime media talking to the father of a missing young woman who's advocating so strongly. Right. And Brianna Maitland, her case was covered on Disappeared uh, years ago, um, one of the very first seasons, I believe. So it it was really cool to see Bruce Maitland and Chris Walker uh, get to speak and sort of understand each other's uh, work. Definitely. And, And a new friend we had on is Rebecca from Criminology and Coffee. She's a TikTok sensation with over a million followers, and she has a YouTube channel as well. And she 
just brings this energy and she brings this whole like really reasonable ethical approach to her true crime coverage. Yeah, she's great. We had a wonderful time speaking with Rebecca and we have her on for a full episode of Crawl Space that is out, I believe, already as you're listening to this. And uh, Lance, her TikTok channel got me thinking I might start one called Criminology and Charge Lemonade. (laughs) Well, that is a what they call big market tease. If you haven't listened to the conversation that we had with Rebecca on Crawl Space, go back, check that out. We do mention the charged lemonade. And uh, we also speak with LaDonna Humphrey, who is an author. She's written a few books now. The Girl I Never Knew about the unsolved murder of Melissa Witt. Also Strangled that uh, I recently read. And we spoke with LaDonna and her co-author, Alicia Lockhart. And they are going to appear on next Wednesday's episode of Crawl Space. But in this conversation, it's just LaDonna. And we speak with her a little bit about her work and her investigation into the death fetish community. And make sure you check that out because Alicia's story that she tells that actually happened to her is absolutely terrifying. And Tim, everybody knows that we have sponsors throughout the episode in order to pay the bills, but sometimes people don't like listen to those sponsors. Where can one go if they wanted to not? listen to the sponsors well we've got missing premium where you can get every single episode of missing completely ad free and you can subscribe in the apple Podcasts app now but if you're not an apple user you can go to missing.supportingcast.fm and you can get the same exact product right there it's ad free episodes of missing there's early releases and there's our weekly bonus show tim where can people find us on social media Folks can follow us at Missing CSM on social media. Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. We're going to break for a quick commercial here, and we'll be right back. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy Thursday at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome 
to Varnum Town. Varnum Town is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's welcome our new guests, Mortified and Marnie of Moms and Mysteries. How's it going tonight, you two? So happy to be here. We couldn't hear you over the, the applause. How are you? We're doing great. Yeah, we, uh, we're really in our element here tonight on this live show. We're uh, very excited. Uh, we've got sound effects to play with. Uh, that's period. That is the key here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe that's a swing and a miss. Who knows? Do I get one? (laughs) Oh, I wish we had a a swing and a miss sound. Yeah. That's what you need. Crickets, anything like that. (laughs) Till we figure out how to upload our own. So, okay. Mandy and Melissa, how are you two? What is going on? Tell us about you. Tell us about your show. Well, we have a show that's run very well. Um, it's very well organized. <laughs> we um, don't do live things because, um, as you can see, we we do a great job when we're involved in <laughs> live things. My face is turning red, and I think it's going into my neck. So Mandy's very used to this with me. But do you regret how early you brought us on in this? You, <laughs> Not for a minute. What are your regrets? Would no you like regrets. No regrets. Uh, can you get that tattoo? No regrets and spell it wrong. Will you do that one? No regrets. No regrets. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Good. If Glad- we if we raise thirty thousand dollars tonight, I'll get a tattoo that says no regrets. I feel like you're moving the goalposts there. You're, you're <laughs> well, different bit. tattoo. Different tattoo. Fine. Fine. So a bonus one. Yeah, we're doing good. We've changed our name to Moms and Mysteries in the new year. It's going well. Most people don't seem confused. Some are and some are vocal, but that's okay. Um, But we're doing well. What do they say? Threats. What are their names? What are their handles? And what do they say? They're upset. Some people are upset. Yeah. I mean, not really. Just we we think (laughs) any kind of negative comments, we take it very personally. Um, So uh, yeah, so we're, we're living in that right now. Mandy, please talk. Every time I open my mouth, I regret what I say. You regret what you say. No. They're You're doing great, though. Give yeah. yourself the drums. Okay. The, the delay makes it so much better. Doesn't it? Oh, goodness. Yeah. So we're doing well. Mandy, we had some updates on the Jared Brightigan story, which is something that we covered with you guys. Can I throw it to Mandy for her to do the serious part? (laughs) There you go, Mandy. All right. Yeah. So as Melissa said, uh, we have been um, talking about the Jared Brightigan story a lot on our own podcast. We've been really um, involved and really invested in that case and have kind of been working together with um, Kirsten Brightigan. And um, so for those who don't know the story of Jared Brightigan, he was a 33-year-old father of four from the Jacksonville, Florida area. And um, he had two daughters with his second wife, Kirsten, and a set of twins with his first wife, who was named Shanna. And even though the divorce and custody battle with his ex-wife was pretty contentious, um, Jared really made every effort that he could to see his twins as much as possible. And every Wednesday, that meant that um, he would go pick up his twins 
friends from his ex-wife's house and take them out for a fun night. He would take his um, younger daughter, Bexley, with them so that they could all spend time together. And that's what they were doing on the night that Jared was gunned down. Um, It was almost a year ago, actually, now. It was on February 16th of 2022. And he was... Just He had just dropped the twins off back at uh, his ex-wife's home, and he was driving home with his um, two-year-old daughter, Bexley, in the backseat of his car when he stopped in the middle of the road because there was a tire there, and he couldn't really go around it, so he kind of had to stop and investigate at least and see what was going on. And when he got out of his car, he was immediately ambushed and shot to death while his two-year-old daughter sat in the backseat in her car seat. Um, So the case is still very much under investigation, but there was, as Melissa said, a really, really big update just last week. They actually arrested somebody that they believe is the man who shot Jared Brightigan, and it's somebody who wasn't previously known to the family. So of course, that's always a little bit of a shock when you hear a name that you you know you really weren't expecting because you've never heard of this person before. But it was um, a man named Henry Tenen, and he has a pretty long rap sheet. But he um, was ultimately charged with conspiracy to commit murder, second degree murder with a weapon, accessory after the fact to a capital felony, and child abuse. And uh, the police have really made it just abundantly clear that they know he did not act alone and that it wasn't just a random killing. And they believe that there was a conspiracy to commit this terrible, terrible murder. But uh, so far, nobody else has been arrested. So, But since Tenen's arrest last week, it has been discovered that he does, in fact, have a connection to Jared's ex-wife, Shanna, and her new husband, who's named Mario Fernandez. Um, He actually, uh, Tenen, rented a house from Mario, and some sources say that he actually did work for him as well. Uh, Mario managed lots of rental properties, and uh, Tenen's roommate says that Tenen was a regular contractor for him, so it seems like there was a pretty strong connection there. Um, But as we said, no other arrests have been made yet, but we're really hopeful that they have made some big strides in this case and that they will, we're just a lot closer to them having justice. Wow. Yeah. Such a great, uh, great update in that case. Yeah, absolutely. Great update for like a really tragic moment uh, in mm-hmm. all of their lives. We put in the uh, YouTube chat the link to the Bridegan Foundation, and Kirsten has invented out of, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to say out of like necessity, but just out of like knowing what her daughter, ah, it's so awful to think about, like what her daughter went through that day, seeing her dad, like, gunned down like having no comprehension of what that is and then i really feel for the people like the police officers at the at the station they're trying to figure out how to handle this crime and they're trying to figure out what to do with this poor child so can you explain what the uh, bexley box is yes mortified we'll take this one so the bexley box is really a box of necessities and comfort items that um that Kirsten kind of put together to deliver to uh, police departments along with some cards for police officers that, you know, keep in mind they're going to these crime scenes to um, to look into these crimes. And then there's a kid there. So then it's just kind of how to how to talk to the kid, uh, ways to make the kid comfortable. And so these boxes are being delivered to uh, police departments. The goal is across the country. Um that have things like sippy cups and diapers and, you know, little comfort things and the pop sock things that kids play with, anything to help relieve anxiety and give the police something to give to these kids who are there, no fault of their own. And there's 
you know, obviously witnessed something or something traumatic has gone on in their life for them to be there. So um, she's worked to put together, put that together. And I know we're here for PI for the missing. So I appreciate you putting the um, link in the notes. If you guys ever want to look into that, Mandy and I are going tomorrow to a police station here locally, and we're delivering our first box and we're so excited. And the police station is already so excited to, you know, get this stuff, just stuff that you don't really think of, but like uh, Kirsten said, when she got to the police department, they didn't have diapers. They didn't have any of those things at a moment's notice that a kid could really need. So um, she's incredible. We've said this a million times, but she's our hero. And um, and we just are excited to um, be involved with Bexley's Box. Rebecca hosts a fantastic show called Criminology and Coffee, and we had her on as a guest this Monday on Crawl Space uh, in a recorded interview that has not been uh, made public yet. Uh, it was a great conversation. It will be coming to the Crawl Space airwaves soon. Um, but Rebecca is a TikTok megastar. I think that's fair to say at this point. I mean... <laughs> So go follow her on TikTok, but also on YouTube as well. So how are you tonight? I am good. So I come presented with a case as well, but I wanted to talk about Liz Barraza. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, the case is super near and dear to me. Her family is so awesome. So Liz was 29 years old. She was living in Tomball, Texas, which I think is near Houston. She, in January of 2019, was setting up for a garage sale right outside of her home, and her murder was caught um, on a ring camera. So, a black Nissan truck pulled up to her house, the driver greets her, gets out of their vehicle, and then shot her uh, four times, point-blank range, with a revolver, and then the individual gets back in their truck, drives away, circles back in what seems to be an attempt to make sure that she was actually deceased. And that's the end of what her family knows. Um, even though it was caught on video, you can't really tell who it is. The investigators have come out and said that it looks like the person might be wearing a disguise. Um, so they have longer hair in the video, but it actually looks like it might be a male who's dressed up to look like a female. But other than that, like no suspects have been named, and there's a $50,000 reward in the case. And um, unfortunately, there's just nothing. You seem to have struck a bit of a chord with the people who are tuning in on YouTube and chatting. Shannon said uh, she remembers hearing about this, and uh, Luciana says that the case is heartbreaking. You, you said something to us when we had spoken a couple days ago that you are super aware and, and hyper-conscious of uh, family members and making sure that whatever story you're telling is something that the family would be aware of and, and, and supportive of. Uh, what, what's your interaction with anybody connected to this one? So I um, got to speak with Liz's parents, Bob and Rosemary, a few times now. So I always, whenever I interact with a victim's family member, they send me usually an email that's pretty cut and dry. And I always respond back and say, cool, but like, tell me about your family member. So 
Um, they said it was like one of the first times they got asked kind of questions like that, but they told me all about how Liz was a really big nerd. Basically, she was really into Harry Potter. She uh, cosplayed Star Wars stuff with like the 501st Legion. Um, she was a really big Disney nerd. Actually, when she was murdered, the day she was murdered, her and her husband were having the garage sale to plan to go to Disney for their five-year anniversary. Um, so she had like a huge community of people around her. Her family's done a bunch of really cool stuff. They have a website. It's whokilledlizbarraza.com. Um, but her parents have made, like, merch for her. And they have, um, like, challenge coins that have Star Wars characters on them and um, Harry Potter stuff. And it's really cool. Um, like we kind of talked about, I always try to figure out who a person was and relate to them on some level. Yeah, her family is incredible. Your feelings on Harry Potter? Um, I am 30 years old, so I am, I, I grew up in prime Harry Potter heyday. I definitely judge people based on their houses. <laughs> okay. What house are you in? Uh, Ravenclaw, obviously. <laughs> well, I'm Gryffindor. I have no idea yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 No, naturally. Lance is Slytherin. Okay. I'll do cool. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds cool. <laughs> He's super Slytherin. Oh man. <laughs> I have t-shirts that say super Slytherin. So we we invite our guests on and we say, do you want to, you can come on, you can talk about whatever you'd like, you can talk about a passion case, and we so appreciate you coming on and talking about a passion case that you have, you know, going on right now that you're looking into, because again, all of this is part of the greater good, it's part of the greater whole, even though it's divided up into 10 minute chunks or whatever, 12 minute chunks, right now you're saying this, people are hearing it. And it's all part of the of the greater good. So we really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. And we really appreciate the fact that you're like our new best friend because we didn't know you before we spoke. And you were so willing to say, yeah, OK, I'll do an interview. And oh, you're doing this. You, Yeah, I'll hop on to do this, too. So fantastic. What drives you? Honestly, a lot of it just comes. It's so like cliche and dumb. But a lot of it comes down to the fact that if something were to happen like to my children, I really hope that they're treated kindly and their stories would be treated kindly and people would be empathetic towards their family or if something happened to me, God forbid. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Kickoff for Super Bowl 34. The Titans-Rams 2000 Super Bowl. An instant classic. Hours after the game, two men were stabbed in the street. Accused of being in the middle, the greatest linebacker in NFL history. Ray Lewis and two friends are charged with murder. The nation's eyes were glued to their televisions. The trial concluded and the verdicts came back. Not guilty. What you can learn from all this is that big cases make for big mistakes. Look what happened in O.J. Simpson. And look what happened in Ray Lewis. Lewis went on to have a Hall of Fame career. 
but questions around that night in Atlanta still remain. So what do you think they're hiding? They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. After 20 years, it's time to get to the bottom line truth. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston, and this is The Raven. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free listening and early access, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on tenderfootplus.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Chris Walker, how are you tonight? I am doing all right. I, uh... I am fighting off something. I don't know if it's uh, the dreaded COVID or what it is, but I was I was in Austin um, meeting with lots of uh, oh, yeah. people who make documentary and reality TV and uh, catching up with a lot of the people who work for ID and who work for Oxygen and, you know, just getting a feel for what's going on uh, over there. And there, there were... You know, they're putting a lot of attention on true crime in in the conference, in some of the, the seminars. And there's been a lot of shout outs to the podcasting community, both as a place where they they're looking to 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 find out about cases that they should be, you know, getting involved in and, and incorporating the work that people are doing in this field into the work that they're doing. Um, so it was heartening. Yeah, that is, that is really cool. And. Heartening is a great word to use. It, it is heartening to know that this industry that broadcasts true crime stories actually cares. And mm-hmm. when you came on our show, well, when we met you and we had a conversation before we knew that you were Chris Walker from Disappeared, we were having conversations about advocacy and we were having conversations about cases and 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 you 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 were just speaking on our level and then we had you on the show and you brought some of these stories to the episode that you were on and it was amazing because we had never explored those cases before i've been revisiting so much of the work that we've done on disappeared because of uh obsessed with disappeared over on the obsessed network which is now called i think not because they sort of ran out of of our cases to cover for now revisiting because of that and I was revisiting a bunch because you know you guys were inviting me on and that experience has really sort of dialed in for me how important what we're talking about tonight is because there's so many so many of these cases where whether it's a lack of resources uh from the local investigators the the local police or whatever other reasons that that people just need this resource um and you just see the way that sort of uh attention you know media attention sometimes starts to wane and other resources go away so i think you know uh, when you guys asked me to do this i was like yeah this is something that people really really need and i think disappeared really focuses a lot on uh you know like rebecca was saying like really trying to have a focus on what the person's life was or is and 
what the family's lives are like. And so, so putting that attention um, on the missing. And, and I think that, that something like this is, is fantastic for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's so important uh, telling stories about um, the victims, you know, the, the people who are missing. And uh, again, I just want to reiterate that private investigations for the missing, this, this fundraiser, these funds that are being raised, they basically go directly towards private investigators um, who are using their own time pro bono, and they're just getting paid back for expenses. So each private investigator who is working a case for private investigations for the missing is assigned that case. They speak with the family and they do interviews. Like Bruce said, they do sometimes hard hitting stuff too. And a lot of this stuff is done behind the scenes. We're never going to broadcast a lot of this stuff. Unfortunately, you know, we, we, we broadcast what we can. Um, but just so you know, the money that you donate here tonight is going to help families and it's, it's going to pay back private investigators for the work that they did pro bono. And as far as uh, trying to get things in by the third in terms of the tattoo deadline, the ever important tattoo deadline. <laughs> but then also, I mean, people should should donate whenever continue beyond that point to to come back here and look at this. Yeah. And I think whenever we speak with you, you always bring up the families of the individuals who are missing and that goes into like the community as well. And when a family has a family member or, or somebody in, in a family is missing and it just drops off of the priority list in law enforcement for whatever reason, that has a really significant impact because it's not just one. It has a really significant impact in the community because that just becomes like a statement about priorities that may or may not be applicable to whatever situation but from a from afar it looks like okay this is a marginalized community and obviously law enforcement doesn't care even though that might not be the case whatsoever so when you're saying you know it's it's great to have a gimmick like hey i'll get a tattoo if we reach five thousand dollars that's that's fun and it's gimmicky and I don't mind doing it, but give whenever you think you should give. If it's $5, give five bucks on a Tuesday for no reason other than like you thought of it and you have five bucks you can give because Absolutely. It's, it is about families, but it's also about like a long scope message that you want to be, I don't know, that, that you want to send and you want to make sure that communities know that everybody wants to build up a community to make sure that these attitudes and these uh, everyone has to support each other is what i'm saying absolutely it's not yeah. it's not about like a simple gimmicky tattoo it's about just motivating people to do this whenever you think about it but please help us get that gimmicky tattoo because <laughs> i'd be very excited about that yeah we we want that gimmick, gimmicky tattoo for sure we need it we do need it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it hasn't gone out of control. Like, as as much as I want to see the total go up to like a hundred thousand dollars, I know that people would be like, "Well, we get a hundred thousand dollars. Like, we got to get a full backplate on yeah. you now. Yeah, twenty tattoos. Face going. Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, private investigations for the missing has helped to resolve cases. Um, but a big part of PIs for the Missing's mission is really providing hope to families. And yeah. you know, this goes back to what we've been talking about here uh, with you, Chris, is just 
supporting families and uh, these investigations are real. Sometimes there are not going to be answers that are found by the investigators and that's unfortunate, but that's the reality. But at least we can give those families hope for a period of time and some of them will be resolved. And sometimes that has involved a long time, a long time. Our investigator sometimes has spent, you know, a long time now working on a couple of years sometimes with some of these people that uh, the investigator is still working with him. And, and, you know, we often hear kind of coming back from the investigators. It's like, well, this is the first time anybody's really set from the families. It's the first time anybody's really set down and is working totally in our interest without. And, and these things can evolve into sometimes pretty deep relationships between the investigators and the families. I mean, it's, it's, it's surprising how some of that works, but I did want to ask you, Chris, like in, in the, in, in the shows, what, what is your feeling as far as, is there any like real training going on with the interviewers of the show when they're working with the families? Do they have formats that they go over them with it? Do they have like series of like kind of look, look at each situation and, you know, what do we talk to these families about? You know, what's kind of the board, what kind of guidelines are they using and things like that? Have you been able to pick up on anything like that or? A a little bit along the way. I mean, I'm really sort of the last in on the process uh, most of the time here, Uh, but I've definitely watched the way they approach it over the years evolve, at least in terms of, you know, what ends up in the cuts of the show. And I think, you know, there's always been a brief from ID to be, to be victim focused, to be focused on, in this case, the, the missing people. I, you know, I think that there's a certain amount where the producers are definitely working within a legal framework and, and knowing what they may or may not be able to disclose or talk about on the show because of restrictions relating to what their legal department might want them to steer away from, and also in terms of active and open investigations. Um, but I think, you know, as we've seen the show be be brought back several times, um, I think what it looks like to me is a, a greater and greater um, sensitivity toward um, the families and friends of the missing person. Yeah, because that's an important aspect in it. And I realize, you know, you're, you're down to a limit. You know, you got a lot of stuff. So only some of it can make the show and a bunch of it makes the cutting floor. And, you know, that's just the way these things work. Yeah. And there are things, you know, we don't always see, you know, we're I'm not privy to. And we as viewers, because, I, you know, in, in relation to this question, I'm, I'm more like a, a viewer. But we don't always know why certain people may be included in the show and not and you know whether there there was a decline to participate and whatever reasons might be behind that um so you know it's 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 a real there's a real spectrum so i I think when you said it was um you know is it sort of a case by case it it really is uh you know i think in, in a way they're starting over each time with with seeing what the specifics of each case are is there any kind of follow-up that they have, like a planned follow-up with some of these cases? The follow-ups that I've seen have been driven by developments. So um, if there's a significant development in terms of 
knowing where the person is or what has happened. Um, I mean, there, there are some that have, you know, unfortunately resulted in, um, you know, the death and the prosecution of the perpetrators. There's some who've been found alive. There's some who've been, uh, who had been missing intentionally. The, uh, there were a couple cases throughout the history um, of the show that were like that. So it's really been driven by the developments being revealed and unveiled. Bri- Brianna's case was covered on, um, on disappeared yeah. uh, years ago, as, uh, as you all know, and, and Greg in the chat room knows as well. Um, yeah, I think that was, that was early, very early in the, in the show's run. Yeah. Yeah. Very early. Yeah. I mean, Bruce, what was your experience? That was a, that was a whole production, at least one production company actually producing the show ago, uh, from the, from the current life of it. But of course it was still ID. Yeah. I don't know. I'd kind of rather not say I have mixed, mixed feelings about that a lot, you know, having got sort of the same the same type of uh from different shows or different tv interviews uh you know i was a i was a uh, you know i don't know i'm a little jaded by the that's got to be questions right. that they are and you know i don't know you know and part of it may be me and just my experience so i mean really i hesitate i hesitate to be critical of it it is what it is it's a tv show and for someone that has a missing person that's possibly alive and out there yeah, it gets invaluable, and you know, regardless of the you know production problems, uh, with someone necessarily that's not well, I have different feelings about that. So, yeah, I think I I can't imagine having to go through that and what that experience is like, and then to go through sort of multiple multiple media outlets. Yeah, uh, you kind of come up being used a little bit, you know, in, in the in the long run. So, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. But hey, it, it is, it, it just is what it is. You know, you learn, you learn a lot of things on this journey and, you know, some of it is, you know, well, law enforcement, how law enforcement really works is not how everyone thinks it works. And, you know, it just kind of goes from there. So And how the media works isn't and necessarily how, the, how yeah, everyone hopes yeah, the media kind of, should how work. How the media works and, you know, you kind of learn to, uh, you know, you hopefully you know, there's, it, it's a little bit of a give and take. Sometimes you, you, you learned a little bit to use the media not so much in a show like disappeared. There's not much there, but you know, certainly with like local news and, uh, and short quick news programs and things like that, you, you learn to use that to your advantage to kind of a learning experience, you know, was part of that process. What led you to this, not tonight specifically, but creating the creation part of the process is really interacting with other families and seeing what they've they're going through and all the problems and and just and that all yeah that does involve somewhat is how the system really works you learn quickly how it works you know you, if you're if you're fortunate you get some attention from an you know a a, a pretty if you're fortunate, you get a lot of attention early on in the investigation process of how law enforcement works. But the bare cold reality, and not to criticize them, is is that comes to an end pretty quickly, without a huge media attention. That you know the ones that capture natural national headlines and things like that. That's kind of a different. But for the for the average people, it, it ends pretty quickly, and and then at their point, they're just kind of stuck. 
and uh, without the means to be able to hire a private investigator, uh, there they are. So it, it just came as a result of, of, of seeing the just incredible need that's out there. And that's conversations with other families with and seeing what they were going through. Well, if you seem, you know, you, yeah. And, and, you know, just watching in, in my own processes too, of seeing how, how it works. And it's like, wow, you know, if, uh, you know, who can, who can, who can afford to hire a private investigator and who can't? Well, probably 95% of us in this country can't. And, yeah. and then, you know, as you delve into it, you find out, you know, sometimes particularly among, you know, a lot of uh, certain, certain society stratus, uh, you know, they get no attention, zero. You know, they get a police report, the person's gone and that's it. So yeah, the need is just, it just was just became overwhelming to sit there and say, well, I, you know, we just can't do any. We can't do nothing about this. We have to try something. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I, I will tell you, Chris, too, a lot of times in this too is what what I have found, particularly in the last two years, is we get a lot of requests uh, for help from people, and sometimes it takes the bare minimum of work. I mean, it's usually a case of where, say, someone has disappeared when they're a minor, and now they're an adult. Well, they're still out there. And sometimes, you know, one of our investigators does some some bare minimum of work, look, gets through some databases and find out, you know, and lo and behold, we find out, well, they've been picked up or arrested or they've had contact with law enforcement or they've showed up in a shelter or somewhere where things have picked up. And, and, and yeah, maybe they don't want to be reunited with their family. I mean, and that's really not something that we need to be involved in, but at least we can assure that family member that yes, that person is an adult. That person is out there alive. And, you know, you know, and the hope is someday, whatever, you know, they'll reconnect and recontact, but sometimes it just takes a bare minimum of the work. You know, we know uh, sometimes in a few days or a week, we can actually locate that person and where they were last showed up and and know that they're still there. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it's too bad because that's something law enforcement could do. But then again, a crime necessarily has not committed. And then at point that time when someone, you know, when someone's an adult and they don't want to be found, well, okay. You know, I mean, it sounds like I mean we'd want people to to contribute what they can, but it sounds like what you're saying is that that you know even a small contribution can go a long way because absolutely, yeah. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Listen to the 48 Hours podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. LaDonna Humphrey, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate your presence. And your presence. And your your presence. Yes, it's a great cause. I'd like to help if I can. So, yes, for sure. Well, you are. You're helping by being here and you're helping by donating books. And we really appreciate it. I received uh, a copy of your book, Strangled, this week. And I am already uh, about a fourth through it. And this is just, just on my spare time. I can't put this book down, people. It's a it's a hard topic, but it's it's important. So I'm glad you're reading it. Thank you for that. I gotta yeah. I, I have to say, not only can't he put that book down, but there have been a lot of <laughs> cases that we've talked about that he will say, This is like the Sheila Shepherd case, this is similar, and I and what LaDonna wrote in this kinda is making me think about some of the elements of this. He's been saying, I can't wait till you read this because you are going to start seeing these things that we have seen in other of other other cases that we're covering. Yeah, it's it's, a, you know, it's, I read your email today and talking about the Shepherd case. And I did want to know more about that for sure. And one of the things that we've done because of Strangled, we also launched a podcast. And in that first season, we're talking specifically about death fantasy, death fetish, and related murders because of that online community. And you would just be astounded to know how many thousands of people are into this and spend hours a day online looking at this and then go off to commit real murder. And so that's, it's, you know, it's been terrifying, but I think it's an important topic. I think people don't want to talk about it. It's a little bit taboo. You know, you're talking about, you know, uh, a fetish that's, you know, obviously related to, you know, a sexual desire, but um, it's, it's work that I feel very, very um, compelled to complete because there are just so many young women who have been murdered because of it. Yeah. Much more of an industry than I had any idea about um, this uh, this death fetish, uh, fetish community and, um, and industry. And, and this isn't just like, like bondage, like fun in the bedroom stuff. This is like a really dark and disturbing, uh, dark web, uh, stuff, illegal photographs and, uh, videos. And in some cases it is a world that I, I, I had never heard really heard of before. Um, except in our, our conversation, um, the first time we spoke LaDonna for crawl space. But, um, now that I'm reading the book, I'm, I'm understanding much more of what that conversation was about. And, um, like, like Lance said, really looking at cases in a different way, especially, uh, Sheila Shepard's unsolved murder, which, um, yeah, we had got, gotten some 
comments about um actually i think they were more like private emails we can go over that privately but um but i think they were more like private emails i won't say they were anything creepy it was just more like hey you should investigate that link i think is how it how they kind of went if i uh, recall correctly well i think one of the things too that's important and i definitely let's take that offline i want to know more about that case and just that correspondence that you've had is that a lot of law enforcement agencies aren't aware that these online community communities exist. And some of them are on the dark web for sure. But there are communities like this that you can access through a Google search, just regular internet. And it's it's really scary to know what is out there. But it is contributing to um, so much violent crime, you know, violence against women specifically. It does happen against men, but it's primarily women. So, you know, our podcast, you know, that that goal is just to kind of expose that in this season. You know, it's it's almost like fringy true crime, you know, because people do not want to talk about this. Um, but it's important that we get it out there. So I can't agree with you more because the act of committing these crimes is gruesome and brutal and without any empathy. And for whatever reason, we're more comfortable talking about the aftermath and the crime itself you know we're more comfortable talking about the crime itself and the aftermath and we're less comfortable talking about the subjects that you are exploring in in strangled and this community this death fetish community where it isn't just you know the like a like a sexual bondage thing it isn't like recreational this is like deep-seated and dangerous and for whatever reason we get weirded out about talking about that but again, we can watch something on Netflix like the Dahmer series or whatever and, and exactly. be totally, you know, be totally good with like the extreme nature of that, but not actually, but be uncomfortable about like, well, how did that happen? I mean, that's one of the things that I wanted to do through the book and through the, through the podcast is normalize. Let's let's talk about these things that are contributing to violence, that are contributing to murder, that are scary things, because this isn't normal stuff. This is primarily men and there are some women involved, but it's primarily men who are glorifying the murder of young women. And that should scare the heck out of all of us um, that that's allowed to happen. And, you know, and each state has different laws, um, but there are federal obscenity laws. And that's one of the things that my co-host and I are really working on is helping to educate people on federal obscenity laws and what we can do to put teeth in them and to demand that um, these producers and, that are making these films and the consumers that are purchasing these films are held accountable because most of the, these films are federally illegal. But if you don't know that it exists, you're not going to go after it. And you'd be so surprised at how many law enforcement agencies across the United States don't even know that it exists. I mean, we've been making a lot of phone calls, turning people in and lots of undercover work. And so it's it's important. And it is something I want to talk about. It's it's just, you know, like I said, I think I've said it a couple of times. It's uncomfortable, but it's it's critical that people understand. What I want to know from you is. You are a private investigator and you started investigating cases, the Melissa Witt case, before you were a private investigator. And so you've seen life both before and after becoming one. So how are those experiences different? Several different ways to explain that. But for me, being an advocate for Melissa Witt, 
for those who don't know, you know, she was murdered in 1994, 19-year-old college student. And um, basically in my own backyard, about an hour away from where I currently live. And that case just really grabbed me. She and I have um, friends in common, although we didn't know each other. And so jumped in and advocated for that case and actually as a civilian built a relationship with law enforcement and did a lot to actually help propel the case and get it into the media. And it was unique because even then, without being a private investigator, they actually did embrace me uh, being a part of that case. This particular department did. And I know that's kind of rare. But what I've seen since I've continued to work on the case, I'm eight years in and I'm about two years into having my um, my license to be an investigator. I see that m more opportunities have opened up. There are more agencies that want help in this area and have actually sought that out for me. And so I think that it's been a good a good experience for me because I can use what I've learned from the WIT case, from what I had to do to get the PI license to really kind of dive in and to help other families, other cases. I think it's important. Um, because in my experience, it's opened more doors for me with law enforcement and um, other investigating agencies now that I do have my PI license. It just so happened it I was in a unique situation before and the Fort Smith Police Department went ahead and, and let me be involved. So it's been it's been a good experience. It's you know, I hope it's going to be able to help a lot of people. That's you know, that's the goal. What psychological factors have you found having not read, you know, I, I obviously haven't read your book yet, but what's some, like, what has led people to be that depraved? Is there, like, any kind of commonalities or something you've found, or? You know, no, we haven't. And one of the things I want, I want to say, it's kind of answering your question in a really strange way, but I, I promise I'll get around to it, is that we've been doing undercover work in these communities online with the blessing of law enforcement. And we have a lot of criticism. And I, I giggle when I say that because people within the death fetish community, you know, they're pissed off. They found out that we're exposing them and they're saying, oh, it, you know, this is harmless. What we're doing is no big deal. It's okay that we want to pretend to murder people, but for the most part, we're not really going to do it. And it just so happens that people that are also in this community go off and kill people. So I reject that. I think when you spend 8, 10, 15 hours a day, and some of these people do, you know, just immersing yourself in this culture of let's kill young women. I think you have to go into that, Bruce, already with this mindset that maybe there are some issues that need to be addressed from a therapist, or maybe you just already have this predisposition for murder. And because these are, these are literally these online communities of men. And, and I keep saying men, I don't want to just pick on men, but it is primarily men who are saying, I want to see a woman drowned, hung, shot, strangled, and they want to see photos and, and, and movies about this. And so I think it takes someone who really does want to hurt people to go and be a part of these communities. And maybe they're not going to have the bravery to do it right now, but they're spending so much time online and seeing these images and thinking about it that I, what I have seen is then they eventually do go and act because I've got case after case after case on my desk of young women who have been murdered because of these predators. And that's what I call them that have, spent this time glorifying the murder of young girls. And it's, it's usually young girls. Like they're very rarely do you see an older woman. It's like younger teenage, early twenties. It's just really sick stuff that 
I, I am determined to put a stop to it. I mean, to the best of my ability to get some federal obscenity laws changed and to get some of these, pro, you know, these producers prosecuted. And I just think it's critical. And I think what we'll find out is that a lot of these cases that um, we can't find resolution to um, some of these girls that we know that were into modeling. I've got about nine of those on my case right now. I think we're going to find that there was a true connection, real live, you know, instances where these girls were killed by producers who were filming what started out to be death simulation, you know, simulation films that turned into a real snuff film. And I'm on a soapbox and I realized. No, 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 no. Like, (laughs) I, I, what's the problem that that happens is the producers will stand behind freedom of speech or something like that, and it's like that's not no 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 like you can't there has to be some parameter that or some 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 line that you cannot cross that's that cannot be freedom of speech because if you are a creative individual and you're saying that this is your freedom of speech and you're being creative and you're producing something stop it like stop it like no one no one believes that like if you're creative you can make something else you can you can use your brain and make something else that's not the exploitation and glorification of and sexualization of a young girl like you can do something else like you can make a buck somewhere else and you you know you've got so each state has different laws uh, you know and like in Oregon, this stuff isn't illegal. Like you can do it there. Now it does still cross over with some of the federal obscenity laws. And so we're really having to take this case by case. So what we're doing through our podcast to kind of help shine a light on that is that we're pulling business licenses that are public of these producers. And we're saying, Hey, Salem, Oregon, we'd like to introduce you to this man that's in your community. This is his name and this is what he's doing. And of course they don't like that. But it's perfectly legal. And if you're going to pretend to kill my sister's mother, you know, daughter's friends, I'm going to expose you. And so we've worked really hard on that. And then just really kind of understanding the laws. But Lance, the real way to get these producers is if they're using PayPal or a credit card company, we can get them shut down. And we've gotten, I would say, a a few sites have gone down because of our work, which I think is you know, we love that. We celebrate that. But a lot of what we have to do is go and alert um, the credit card companies and alert PayPal because they won't allow that. And, you know, the larger mainstream porn companies like Pornhub and places like that, they won't touch this stuff. They, they, they do want it off of their site. Even they kind of say, hey, that's too much for me. And so um, say what you will about pornography in general. I'm talking about this stuff that that you're pretending to murder a young girl for sexual satisfaction. No, that that's not freedom of speech that we've got to stop that. Good for you. Contacting where the money's coming from, how the money is getting to them. Yeah. They and they don't like me very much, but I don't care. I don't like them very much, and that's just what I keep saying, you know, and you know, when we got into the business of exposing them through our podcast, we knew that we were going to have some backlash, you know, and I I think I talked to you guys about that last time, you know, the death threats, the the things that they're, you know, trying to do to scare me, but I think that we scare them more, because we're saying, hey, 
we're not hiding behind a screen name. This is real, my real name, my face. This is where I live. And I'm coming after you because I'm not going to stand for this. And so, you know, we've seen these kind of efforts be successful in like the UK. Um, there was a young woman named Jane Longhurst that was murdered there by what we call a fetisher. That's a death fetisher. And her mom was very successful with, get, with getting the law changed and to really expose just what is happening with the death fetish community. And so we're trying to really pick up the torch from what work she did and also do that. And, you know, I never thought that this would be a platform that I would be so passionate about. But it, it, this was a real tip that came in in the Melissa Witt case. And as I chased that down, and I realized how horrible this was. And I realized that some of our missing young women across the United States could be connected to this. I said, no, I'm going to do something about this. Well, thank you. I mean, for, for doing this work, I'm sure it's not comfortable. And, uh, but so I do feel like someone has to take this dive. And, uh, like you said, it's, it's kind of gotta be public. Like if the police do it, that's great. But like it stays within that department or within that even that detectives, you know, orbit. Um, and then, you know, what good is that for other cases? So I do feel like this is um, shining a light on a deep, dark corner of the Internet that really should not exist. I agree. And if I, I just want to add one more thing. One of the things that I, I think a message that needs to be sent is that we've had some families contact us and say, hey, do you think my daughter's missing persons case could be connected to this and of course you know then we try to dive in and find out and one of the things that happen is these young girls are taken advantage of they 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 get sucked into this believing it's not going to be a death fetish pornography that it may just be i'm going to take pictures of you or you know maybe they're just topless photos or whatever and then we see that these um producers then trick them into other things or you know force them into it and so I think that's an important message for parents to consider if they think you know hey I've had you know so and so has been missing for 15 years I think maybe she was into modeling I hope they will reach out to us those are cases that we are marking as priority and trying to look into that and work with law enforcement to see if there's any connection is there anything else that uh that you'd like to say here tonight I just want everybody to donate to this amazing cause. So I hope that they do. I hope that they're watching and I'm going to try to get my friends to do the same. So yeah, I want to support it any way I can. So thank you for having me here tonight. I really appreciate it. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.